You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you, you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse and that is the navigator series now they have the women's wind rows they have the men's wind rows and then they have the atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out W Hunting Supply is your go-to source for the best in dog training systems and supplies, as well as equipment for hunting, houndsmen, and women. We've served dedicated dog owners and avid hunters across the nation since 2000, and it's our mission each day to continue offering you exceptional products and outstanding customer service. At W, we're not just suppliers. We own and train our own hounds, and we regularly use the products we sell. We're proud of our hard-earned knowledge, and we're happy to share it with you, because when you shop our WU, you're not just our customer, you're part of our community. And W just launched a really cool app, Steve. You can download it in your app store on either your iPhone or Android, any smartphone. And all kinds of content in there from training tips and tech support. You can schedule uh, actual maintenance for your tracking device right from that app now. Sign up for an account, download that app, and start tracking W anywhere that you have cell phone connection. And you can find all information about W Hunting Supply at www.dusupply.com. XP podcast with your host Steve Fielder and me Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. This is a Houndsman XP alert, and we're going to be including this section on top of our other episode that you'll be hearing after Steve and I are done discussing this, but this pertains to California Assembly Bill 1254. Currently, the General Assembly in California is attempting to uh, ban bobcat hunting, and it's headed to the governor's desk right right now as we speak. So uh, this is a... Humane Society, the United States Back Bill, and Steve and I are going to discuss this a little bit and make sure that you're informed. Uh, Steve, from my perspective, this type of a bill is another step closer to the total ban of hunting in California, and as we know, a lot of things that come from California have a trickle-down effect throughout the country. Oh, absolutely, uh, Chris, and I think we've run the danger out here in flyover country of saying, well, this is just another example of the left-wing politics out on the left coast. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of, of, of history. Uh, there is a lot of history of, of these kinds of things. You know, back in 1990, California banned uh, uh, mountain lion hunting. And then... Uh, Colorado came along and banned uh, the use of hounds for bear and bait stations and so forth in 92. And 
then uh, we saw Oregon fall in 1994. So these kind of things come along out that way every so often. But um, this is certainly just another domino falling and uh, the ripples will be felt all across the United States because, as the Humane Society of the United States and their allies, and there are many, uh, when they, uh, you know, they sense the blood in the water, so to speak. If they win this one, uh, you can bet they'll, they won't be satisfied. They'll be looking for other fruit to pick. Right, and they always try to camouflage these bills with flowery language to, to lower the impact or the shock value on sportsmen, and they kind of get swept to the side until it's too late. You know, in 1990, uh, it was California Proposition 117, and that was dubbed the uh, Conser- Conservation Protection Act. I believe was the name that they used and something like that. um, Oh, I'm sorry. It was California wildlife protection act. So, you know, the, the average citizen hears that and they think, well, that's good. And it often flies under the radar of many sporting groups that, that may not pick up and catch, catch that the real language in that. And 117, what it did was, it, like you already alluded to, it, it outlawed uh, taking of mountain lions. They, they even had to go back and revise that so that the government could manage problem lions a few years later. So, you know, it just seems to go on and on and on. Well, they're crafty in their language for sure, and what they're saying out there now is that the bobcat population is so healthy it doesn't need to be ma- managed. Therefore, there's no reason for a, a hunting season. They go on and cite the fact that uh, bobcats kill rodents that would uh, otherwise uh, kill birds when, in fact, bobcats are uh, and feral cats are excellent hunters as any sportsman knows and uh but the arguments seem to be the same uh you know we we fought these kind of things down through the years chris and uh uh it's it's very important i think and uh, that we uh, let hounds people across the country know that uh, this is happening in california it can happen where they live and what they need to do is get in touch with uh the governor, uh, uh, Gavin Newsom, out there. Uh, now, this guy, you know, his uh, record precedes him, and I'm not sure, uh, but perhaps if we can get enough pressure on him, he may uh, veto this bill. Uh, do we want to give them, a, a, our listeners, a, a number uh, think, where they can contact him? I think we should do that at the end, uh, uh, you know, to make sure that that sticks and— We'll we'll set that up and and maybe put it in the show notes as well for this particular episode. We'll amend the show notes a bit, but um, you know, Steve, a lot of times these wildlife agencies, especially places like California, um, are infiltrated by by liberal uh, liberal bureaucrats that try to shape wildlife management based on emotion. Oftentimes, I think they're more concerned. They manage. They manage in a fashion where they're more concerned about the individual animal than they are the species as a whole. And they oftentimes manage for um, uh, what you would call cultural impact or, or cultural conflict. Right now in the in the East, you know, nobody is standing up for the raccoon because these same animal rights people are sick of them eating their bird seeds and and uh, you know getting in the eaves of their house in town. So there's not this big public outcry to they they would never gain support for this. But when you take something as elusive as the bobcat or the mountain lion, uh, it's a it's an iconic figure that that symbolizes the free spirit of the American West, and people get emotionally wrapped up in that, and it's an easy target for these anti-hunting crowds to go after. 
Well, absolutely, Chris. And it's always these things. I use a term. It's uh, symbolism without substance. You know, they they use that uh, uh, bobcat and its kittens and so forth as being cute and cuddly and uh, from the land of Walt Disney. And, you know, it does. It strikes a chord emotionally with people. And that's exactly what's going on out there. I don't know what type of effort is being mounted out there uh, by hound people. I do know that Sportsman's Alliance has uh, has come forward and, and released uh, uh, announcements about this. Um, and it's interesting out there, Chris, the Department of Finance in California is opposing this bill. Um, and, and there's a quote here from Lou Coton, who is the Associate Director of State Services for the Sportsman's Alliance. It says, everyone knows the California legislature isn't going to appropriate millions of dollars to reopen a hunting season. So this bill is an a de facto ban on bobcat hunting disguised as common sense without any scientific or physical responsibility. What they're saying now, Chris, with this thing is that it's only, uh, the ban would only go until 2025. Right. But, but after that, that's a slippery slope. Yeah, and they say after the ban has expired, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife could only reopen the season following the completion of a new management plan that will cost $2.5 million estimated. So, you know, nobody is going to vote for a $2.5 million um, plan to study bobcats. Right. Let's let's in this political climate, what politician is going to step out and say, "Hey, let's spend more money." It's not happening these days. And uh, although I, I'm going to contradict myself here, uh, the Proposition 117 for that California Wildlife Protection Act did a lot, thirty million dollars per year that's supposed to go back into habitat. Uh, and right now, it's actually. Uh, in effect until 2020 and state the state assembly out there just reinstated that and and approved that to continue for the next 10 years so um, there is no recovery from this stuff in my professional life i've seen bills like this that have been passed and once you get something listed as protected getting it off the list is nearly impossible to do Exactly. Well, and I tried to make the point earlier that this is a domino that falls. And it's interesting that uh, just this week also uh, we find animal rights groups in California uh, suing the state uh, over the use of GPS collars on hounds. Yeah, talk about a dichotomy. You're looking at Florida that's getting ready to um, enact a proposal pass pass a, a commission rule down there to require gps's on hounds exactly it shows you the wide spectrum of of attitudes you know i have some experience with this in michigan years ago when uh the humane groups tried to uh ban the use of telemetry collars and man we really uh had some uh tough battles up there but we were able to prevail because uh once again, we were able to incorporate the whole hunting community in the fight. And I think that's a point that we need to make here for anyone listening to this podcast, is this is not uh, just about bobcat hunting. It's not just about GPS collars on hounds. It's an anti-hunting issue. And once this one is, um, say, uh, is uh, uh, this battle is won by the humane groups they're going to go right after something else it might be baiting for white-tailed deer it might be anything it might be bugling for elk it it's hard to tell what the next uh uh domino will be it could be tree stand hunting for deer you know the the list sure. goes on and on and on and 
I, I think of this thing, you know, the most affected players, the people that this is going to affect most in California are going to have the least amount of voice on this because of the voting bases in those in those cities out there, the the metroplexes of California that that seem to dominate the voting. And it reminds me of the old adage about a farmer's view of breakfast. You know, the chicken is involved, but the pig is invested. And he, the people that are going to be impacted and invested in this thing are going to have the least amount of say in it because rural communities are trying to fight against these metropolitan areas and sheer numbers in referendums like this simply uh, make it a ba- an uphill battle all the way. It's like pushing water uphill. Absolutely. Well, we know that California is a tough nut to crack. There, there's such a history out there of voting against hunting, especially dog hunting. But there are a lot of states across the United States where there is a strong chance that we can defeat these things if we get prepared early, we organize, uh, we understand the threat And as you've said, we come down off the mountain and we go uh, and participate in a uh, a legislative hearing. We write letters. We contact our representatives. uh, We join uh, a hound hunting club. Or if we don't have one, we form one. This is a call to action. Absolutely. this uh, uh, and it's a wake-up call to hounds people all across the country and in Canada or wherever game is pursued by hounds that you need to get on top of these things. You need to organize. But I don't mean to belittle the fact that we can still win this thing in California if we could get enough public opinion on our side uh, to convince this governor not to sign this bill or to veto the bill. Right. This is a national issue. We can't afford to sit back and say, well, California's, you know, California's a lost state and and we can let them have that in California. We're not going to be able to do that. Um, We can't afford to do that any longer. I saw a statistic recently that said within our lifetime, California population is going to expand to 50 million people. 50 million. I got news for you. They're not all going to stay there. And that's what's happened in Oregon and Washington and Montana and Idaho and Arizona and all these western states is people from California go and find places to live in those western states and then they bring their culture with them. So we've got to hand them a defeat on this proposition. Absolutely. Well, in your recent appearance uh, on the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast, you and Clay Newcomb discussed this, and Clay's remarks were to the effect that we have nothing left to give up. We have no compromises that we can make. We simply have to fight these things with everything we have, and uh, that's what this alert is about today, Chris, is trying to convince our listeners across the country uh, that it's it's time it's it the talking time is over you know the fighting time is here and my encouragement is is that if you're a houndsman in the west if you're a houndsman across the united states make contact with the legislative branches and the governor's office out there to stop this bill Uh, together we can do this we need but it needs to be organized i would encourage I've been in contact with Lori Jacobs of the uh, California Houndsman Association, and we're going to continue to communicate there to try to come up with a plan, an organized plan with talking points on, and something that's very organized and effective, an effective voice for houndsmen and hunters. You know, like we've already alluded to, this is going to have trickle-down effect, and this is just another rung up the ladder until – you aren't going to be allowed to recreate in the outdoors with a firearm in your hands or a bow in your hands. Well, that's true, Chris. I think we better give the listeners the uh, contact information uh, as to where they can uh, 
call, and uh, there's also a web address that we we can post up on the um, Houndsman XP um, Facebook and Instagram pages uh, with the information. But uh, I'm sure they could also Google this. It's uh, Assembly Bill 1254. California Assembly Bill 1254, and I'm sure there's a place for comment there. Um, you want to give them that governor's phone number, Chris? If you've got it handy, Steve, why don't you roll it out? Okay. It is area 916-445-2841. That is the phone number for Governor Newsom. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, ring that thing off the hook, uh, listeners, and uh, let's save bobcat hunting in California. All right, we're rolling. Good morning. Good morning. Here we are at uh, 2019 Autumn Oaks, Steve. And uh, this is kind of the first time that you and I have sat down face-to-face in all the episodes <laughs> we've done. Yeah, I'm thinking, where is my laptop so I can message Chris to tell him <laughs> I, I'd like to jump in the conversation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. So it's been a – this is actually Saturday, the so we'll be winding it up today. Yeah, you know, it's gone really fast this year, it seems to me. Uh, I got a little later start from driving up from Florida, and it was a long day on Thursday. Didn't get in here till about 5 o'clock. And, uh, yeah, and then yesterday just went, you know, too fast. And, right. But, uh, yeah, people wait all year long for this thing, and it's, the three days are gone. You know, I, don't think, just, uh, I don't think anybody understands, unless you've been here and seen it, and experienced it and built those relationships here. I mean, this is the trade show for Houndsman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, as you go through the these vendor barns here and you look at the quality of the booths, you know, in a former life, I was in a sales and marketing job and attended a lot of conventions and all and big trade shows, places like McCormick Place in Chicago, those sure. kind of yep. venues. And, you know, of course, it's certainly not this that large, or I, I think probably the SHOT Show, which I've never attended personally. But, you know, this is a first-class trade show for hound, uh, hound people. Uh, I'm looking across the way over here at the banners for Bright Eyes Lights, uh, Dogtra. The UKC have their uh, logo uh, we've wear. Got Gar- we've got sitting right next to Garmin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Valley Creek's across the way, and as you get out on the ground, there's, there are more vendors out there. And what I've noticed in all the years that I've been coming to events, it seems like <clears throat> it seems like that the uh, the vendors are upping it a notch on their presentations mm. and, and different things. NRA convention is uh, you know a, a huge show. And everything is how it's presented there, and it kind of draws you in. But everywhere you go, you can talk to somebody. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, over the years, having been involved with these coon dogs, uh, you know, you just see so many people that you don't see all year, you know. Uh, And it is that reunion atmosphere. You know, and I I was thinking just this morning, one of the things that's really changed about Autumn Oaks is the golf cart vendor. You know, back in the old days, you just had to walk all over the grounds, you know, and down through the camping areas and and the dog barns and all that if you wanted to see things. Well, remember when it first came back here and the only thing that was here was the main building exactly. everything operated out of there they had all these big oak trees out here to the sure. to the south yeah yeah well yeah looking back on all that um that there was that one major area which now houses the kitchen as it did then on right. one end yeah but then there was a stage on exactly. the other end and rows and rows of tables and everything was done in that building mm-hmm. we called the cast from there 
you know, people went in there to, to get a meal, sit down and talk and all the conversation, the whole the bingo in the evening right, and, the, right. and, and a live band from time to time. Sure. You know, and then I remember the evolution of that while I was with UKC. We decided to do this breeder showcase area. Right. And we put tents, circus tents, outside of that building. You yeah, know, yeah. And, and had some breeder booths mm-hmm. in there. Where were they showing at that time? And, we- uh, believe it or not, uh, right uh, here in this building, just from, uh, let's see, that's going to be to the south. The wildlife, or right, the uh, right livestock. Right where Timber, uh, where uh, Bob Osborne's uh, vendor area is there. Right. Uh, used to be the That's show. right. That's yeah. right. The livestock arena, and they had the bleachers set up on both sides. Yeah, yeah. It was an open-sided barn. Right type thing and, and of course you had to contend with the barking of the dogs that were being housed you know right n- nearby right so uh, you know calling as we say calling the show or announcing the show in the classes and all it you know you had that constant dog barking uh in the background type right thing but then the, you know the a local RV dealer here in Richmond, Tom Raper, a mm-hmm. uh, huge RV dealer, built this big. It's called the Raper Center, I mm-hmm. guess, for indoor shows right. for for mobile home or or uh, RV shows. Right. And now that just opened a whole deal up. Now they got all conditioned. air conditioned. They got the show rings there. PA. Yeah, PA system. Yeah, it's, it's a uh, it's a top shelf, it's a top shelf convention, that um, it's a top shelf convention center now that that Tom Raper uses for his business and the the RV industry. This is like the hotbed, just a little bit north central of here, uh, up towards South Bend and stuff. Is sure. I mean, huge industry in the RV industry yeah. where they manufacture the RVs. Well, the guys, uh, we had Alan Gingrich on, on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, he's done a great job along with the other officials at UKC in, in continuing to grow this event, you know, and, and it, it really is, is a special deal. I was going to say over there in that Raper Center, there's also all the Breed Association booths. Yep. And they've all really stepped up their acts, you know, with their on canopies right. and their displays. And I was over at the plot booth yesterday and looked. And, of course, uh, there's a couple of ladies on the board of directors now. And mm-hmm. you can really see their touch <laughs> and all the decorations and everything. Yeah, Becky Church and who's Becky the Becky Church the and uh, LaDonna. LaDonna, yeah. Uh, LaDonna yeah. Taylor. Yeah. and uh, But I was... In the golf cart, I mentioned earlier this morning, as I had to run over to my truck and pick up something to come back to our booth. And I was just thinking about as I came down the aisles and stuff and looking around, and I thought, this is where I feel the most, uh, you know, where I feel like I'm where I belong, you know. And I think all these people, if they would stop and think about it, they'd probably feel that too. And we're set up here in the in the main vendor barn, and and uh, Jason Doobie from W came out here and uh, has unselfishly given us his time and working in the booth and stuff. But that's what we were talking about as we stand back and we watch the people that you interact with. Um, you can tell they're your people, Steve. Well, you know, well, your type your type of crowd, and you relate with them very well. And there's been very few people in the sport in the history of the sport that had that ability to do that. so Well, I appreciate that, Chris, but it just—it was just a natural affection for me. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, as a kid, I grew up, you know, the idea of getting to go to a UKC hunt oh, was yeah. huge. Right. You know, and I can remember my dad, you know, before I could drive, taking me up to eastern Ohio. There was a hunt at Barlow called the Southeastern Ohio Championship, and they draw over 100 dogs. And I got to go there, you know, even mm-hmm. before I could drive and actually hunt a dog in the event. In fact, that's the first trophy I ever won. I won sixth place one time <laughs> with a plot. And it was like a foot-tall trophy. Absolutely. And it was like winning the world hunt. Right. I'm sure I polished all the shine off that thing all the way home, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, yeah. I can, I can remember my first one, you know. It was uh, 
I actually had a dog in a grade hunt, and I think I placed third. You yeah. Know, back in the days of a grade hunt, and you just feel like you're walking on cloud nine. Oh, and yeah. So there's a lot of history here. Yeah. And you kind of hear the buzz behind us because the vendor barn is really packed right now. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's going to get busier because we're on Saturday now. So. Oh, uh, yeah. Today should be the biggest day crowd-wise. Uh, you know, people kind of use this thing as a as a, uh, a time to gear up for the fall. Right. You know, and I think that's probably one of the things that we overlook in this sport. You think, well, maybe the entry numbers at the events are not what they used to be. Maybe you don't have those 100-dog local hunts or 50-dog local hunts. But there's a lot of coon hunters in the country. And right. they're here, you know, I met – I. I spoke with a couple yesterday from Utah that right. drove 1,800 miles out here, yep. you know. And Jason Doobie came from Oregon. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. of course, he's here to work, but he's already stated that even if he has to take vacation time to be here next year, he's coming sure. from Washington, and we've got uh, commitments or, you know, right now, loose commitments from several houndsmen in the West that, that want to come. Oh, and, yeah. I hope we can us. encourage them, continue to encourage them to do that because they are going to love this event. Uh, if they love hounds, whether they have registered hounds or not, that doesn't matter. In fact, I just came by a booth out here. Uh, a guy was displaying some crossbred UKC registered puppies. They looked like black and tans. Apparently, they were crossed with another breed, which uh-huh. you can now register you know, right. through the UKC. So, well, you know, if you walk along this this highway here where we are, and then there's another barn just like the one we're in, right to the east. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you walk along, you see a light vendor. For instance, Bright Eyes over there mentioned them before. Uh, Ray Conrad told me, you know, he'll sell out probably. In fact, I think he's close to sold out of lights already, yeah. and he brings probably four or five hundred lights with him. I don't know exactly how many, but if you're looking across the way over there, his tables are almost clear. Yeah, his table was packed the other yeah, day when exactly. we got here. Yeah, you know, this 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 thing a couple of weeks ago we did a, a podcast with Sid Underwood. Right. And we talked about a rendezvous. Mm-hmm. You know, the old yeah. fur trappers, Jedediah Smith, right. Golden Age of Fur Trapping, yeah. Rendezvous, Mountain Man Rendezvous. And this is the closest thing yeah. in existence right now to that. Because sure. when you walk around here, there's campers set up. People are stopping by. They're visiting. They're talking about their hunting seasons. They're gearing up, right. like you said. And that was the purpose of the old Fur Trappers Rendezvous is yeah. to get together and share stories and yeah. and gear up for the upcoming Absolutely. hunting season. So, And, you know, there's a whole additional aspect to autumn oaks that if you stay around the campgrounds and the vendor barns and the dog barns and all that and that's one thing that's changed i mentioned the dog it used to be a lot of people brought dogs and tie or housed them in these barns you Mm -hmm. don't see that much anymore people keep their dogs close they keep them at their campsites they keep them in their vehicles you know whatever but if you go over there to that raper center you're going to see a whole different aspect of the Coonhound sport, and that's the show aspect. Right. You know, in fact, UKC, again, I'll give them a, a, a heads up or, or a shout out for for doing this dual class. Now they have yeah. on Thursday night, they have a hunt uh, for dogs that have earned a, a, both a night title and a show title. Right. And then... Uh, they they have to I think win their cast with plus points to be eligible to show the next day. Right. And then so it's picking the dual purpose dog. But the show aspect of Autumn Oaks, it's the world's largest coonhound bench show. Yeah. You know, they've got several rings going over there. Right now as we're talking, right. you know, and 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 a couple of different judges and and they're you know, and it's, it's a, a big whole deal. different deal. You know, You've got you've got grooming stands over there. Yeah, you know stuff that when when back in the day, you know, guys were standing their dog on the tailgate and wiping them down. Yeah. Now they've got yeah. grooming stands and and it's it's big time stuff yeah. and and I mean it's just something that everybody can. You know can that's funny. In. It just kind of reminds me of the evolution of that sport. 
it was back in the old days, and I guess the fox hunters did this too. You know, he'd say, "Well, you know, we got to run. We got a trial tonight. We're going to run. You know, but my dog. You know, I think my dog's better looking than your dog." He said, "Well, throw that bale of hay out there and stack him up there on that bale of hay. Right. Let's look. And then maybe the evolution was, and I think it's it really was the." put up some cinder blocks and lay a tube of six or a tube of 12 or something. And then you line plywood that. up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you, yeah. I remember, I remember show benches like that where it was one continuous. Now you've got actually got people here selling show benches oh, to people. Yeah. The collapsible, you know, individual yep. bench. The old deal was, you know, you got someone like to show them in, with the head and the left hand and someone on the right. Well, you can stack it up and you can move around your dog any way you want. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the different people that are used to the confirmation or all breed shows like you watch on TV at Westminster. It's all on the ground. Well, the Coonhound shows, the traditional bench still is part of the show. Yeah. But it's evolved a lot more to the the gating and and, and all. And very right. much like a... Uh, a confirmation ring you'd see it with, with the AKC, but the benches are still there, you know. Right. So that the, that's a a part of it that I always enjoy watching. But usually now, with of course since we're we're uh, podcasting and working with uh, CNH Publishing in their booth, it's uh, I don't have time for that anymore, and I kind of miss it, you know. But. Well, you ought to take some time and run over there this morning. Well, I probably will. I'll, I'll go by the, just to say hello. One of the things I've noticed, Steve, as you walk around the grounds here, every dog, I haven't walked past a dog yet that that is without water or unattended. Oh, yeah. You know, mm. that is a big, uh, has always been a big, a big contentious thing for the reputation of houndsmen is that they don't take care of their hounds. I see that all the time on social media. And as you walk around here, somebody is, like you said, they keep their dogs close, but the dogs have got water, they're they're shaded. Exactly. I mean, it's, I even saw one, you know, so a dog didn't have to lay on the ground, somebody took shavings and spread it out on the ground. Sure. And, sure. Uh, well, so that's, any misconception yeah. anybody has that these dogs aren't, right. are just staked out and abandoned. Right. Those that's that's a that's just an out and out lie. Well, exactly, and you know, people that keep fluffy dog in the house, you know, the companion dog, to them, it, the idea of tethering a dog is a foreign thing, you know. Right. But if that dog is on a, a tether and and the ability to move around and and out in the fresh air and these these portable canopies that are so easy sure. to, to to find nowadays and that's what you see the way these dogs yeah. are and they and they're able to look be out there around and see the other dogs and and interact with everything that's going on. it's great for the dogs because it socializes them you know makes good citizens out of them. i mean there's so many benefits that people yeah. that really don't understand uh, the hunting dog, you know, probably don't get it. But. Right. I mean, there's dogs tied up out here under canopies with fans on them. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a big deal. Well, you know, the, the hunt aspect of this uh, Autumn Oaks has always been uh, one of the most prestigious events in, in the country to win, you know, and and it's always been, I guess, from the very start, uh, the the hunt to award the top dogs with the highest titles, which is Grand Knight Champion in UKC. Mm-hmm. I know the first um, Autumn Oaks was in 1960 in Greencastle, Indiana, and it was won by a dog named Pioneer Drum that happened to be from the breed that I like, the Plot Dog. Uh, but at that point, there was no Grand Knight Champion degree. It was mm-hmm. a Knight Champion was the highest that you could attain. And then later on, the UKC decided to let these Knight Champions hunt against each other and 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 develop the Grand Knight degree. So to cut to the chase, the Autumn Oaks has always been the hunt that awarded the National Grand Knight Champion, right? Which was me- meaning you have the the bragging rights to having the 
best of the best. Yeah, it predated the UKC World Championship. Exactly. And yeah. so to come here and win that was very prestigious. And Absolutely. and several people from back in those days, uh, they they the hunters from those days recognized the accomplishment of being the top dog oh, here at yeah. Autumn Oaks. You know, my friend Lee Kearns, who I hope we'll have on the podcast uh, uh, before long, Lee is now, uh, um, I don't know, he probably wouldn't appreciate me saying that, but I'd say he's getting close to being an octogenarian, if I can use that big two-cylinder word. That is a two-cylinder That's word. That's a big one, isn't it? Yeah, what, do you, what does that mean? I think he's like close to 80 years old. Okay. Okay. And uh, is that Latin? What is that? <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a buzzword, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, Lee remembers the days of coming to Autumn Oaks, riding in a car. And this, I know the people out there are going to just go insane when I say this, with the dogs riding in the trunk of the car. Right. And which I can remember my father hauling dogs that way too. Of course, the air gets through there, you know. It's sure. not like they're hermetically sealed and, <laughs> and vacuum packed. That's too big. Man, big I'm words. on a roll today. Yeah, you are. Yep. Golly. But anyway, Lee, the story is if you know, sleeping <laughs> under a tarp on the, on, in the bed of a pickup truck or in a pup tent and bringing their dogs, you know, and running. Yeah. And that was in the early 60s. And now to see what, you know, things well, have become. The first time I came to Autumn Oaks, we were right here at Richmond. And I drove uh, probably a 1987 Ford Ranger and had my dog box in it. And I was hunting a dog named Sugar Creek Joe at the time. He was a train walker. And... Um, we were, it's when the, all the oak trees were still out right. there. And I actually took a tarp and spread it, put it underneath the front hood and angled it down. Mm -hmm. And that's where I slept when I got back. I got you. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Bivouacked right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was fresh out of the Marine Corps, so it wasn't anything. Didn't mind sleeping on the that's ground in those right. days. But, right. you know, it, it, it kind of reminded me of the stories that John Wick told would tell about going to hunts and sleeping in the truck or sleeping on the ground sure. under the truck, you know. We all went through that. I think we were talking the other day about, you know, my high school buddy, Chuck, rest his soul. He, he died much too early, but we would go to hunts up and down the Ohio Valley within 100 miles of home we, when we got our license, as we said, you know. Yeah. He had an old Plymouth Baccaruda, we called them, Barracuda with that yeah. glass to right. hatchback. We put the dogs in there. We'd pull up to a hunt. You know, we'd get out our old pup tent, <laughs> stake yep. that thing out, stake the dogs out. But then I can remember, you know, looking at some of these guys that actually had pickups and they had magnetic oh, yeah. signs on the doors. Mm -hmm. And uh, this one fellow I remember very well, and uh, listeners will probably remember him, named Henry Hitt. And he was from up around Elkhart, Indiana. But he was originally from West Virginia, but he was that kind of guy. He had the magnetic signs, and he had his Cherry River Tree and Walkers, and he had right. beautiful tricolored hounds and, and all that. And I'm, it's like a little joking, you know, we're over there doing this. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> yeah. Now you see guys rolling through here and uh, – you know, vinyl wrap trucks. Oh, you know, yeah. Where they put the whole vinyl wrap of their yeah. kennel logos and stuff on the side of their trucks. So sure, sure. Uh, definitely definitely a lot of tradition and, and things going on here. Well, and you drive around the town here, Richmond. Richmond's a, a bustling little town here right on Interstate 70, just practically on the Ohio line here mm -hmm. in, in uh, eastern Indiana. And uh, you see all the marquees of the uh, the the, uh, the motels and the, and the restaurants welcome coon hunters. Right. I walk in the Holiday Inn where we're staying this weekend, and right there is UKC Automotive. We mark you know right as yeah. you walk in the door. 
So the town realizes the economic impact of an event like this, and it's huge. You yeah. know, I, I used to know the numbers back used in the to day. Be, it used to be around $12 million. Yeah, $12 it, million it's several weekend. million dollars, yeah. really, because you factor in all of the motel rooms. Right. Uh, uh, the, the gas restaurants are packed. Restaurants, it, you go in any restaurant this weekend in this town, it's going to be filled with, with hunters. Yep. The t shirts and the caps, and the you hats, tell them. Yep. I walked into uh, the steakhouse we went last night, a couple of guys in civilian clothes came out and, and recognized my houndsman t shirt, or at least that identified me as a hunter, and said, Oh, how's the hunt going out there this weekend? Right. You know? Right. Right. And I said, you guys, come, oh, it's great. You guys coming out? Oh, no, but we're glad you guys are in town. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. cool. Leave your money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's one of those, it's um, when you, we were working with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. I was doing the work there. You know, we ran some of those numbers to show economic impacts mm -hmm. and, and what coon hunting can bring to the state of Indiana and uh, made those numbers available. We, we had communications with uh Chamber of Commerce, and those ladies were sure. always here passing out their oh, red yeah. poppies. Mm. Um, the the American yeah. Legion was here, or no? They what? They, they gave you a little embroidered rose. Yeah, remember exactly. that? Yeah, that you could stick on your on the bill of your yeah. cap or whatever. It had. Yeah, it was a sticky on the back. Right. I haven't I haven't been around enough because we've been here promoting Houndsman XP. Just like you haven't been to the show, I really haven't been around the grounds much either, but. So the, the community recognizes the value here, and a lot of times we talk about economic impacts for um, uh, industry and, and other deer hunting sports and different stuff like that, but I don't know that there, other than when, you know, like the National Wild Turkey Federation comes to Indy once every, you know, seven or eight mm -hmm. years for their national convention, there isn't anything that brings more revenue consistently to the state of Indiana than this event right, right here. I, I'd say that's true, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you know, when we uh, uh, brought Autumn Oaks here, uh, we'd been previously in, well, we had the homecoming to Indiana for the 25th year, and I guess that would have been like 1984 because mm -hmm. it started in 60, and we were up at Jasper, Indiana for a couple of years, and then we went to Logansport, Right. For a year or two, I don't remember the and the but we came here to to Richmond. It's it's kind of a really a testament to a coon club. Really, uh, of course, the Chamber of Commerce was involved very much from the start. Mm -hmm. They wanted the event to come, but a local coon club, the Wayne County Coon Hunters, right? Dick Dick Warville, Reagan yeah. Lanter, those right. guys, they wanted to build a new clubhouse. Mm -hmm. You know and. Uh, so they were visionary. They said, right. you know, if we can run this kitchen and, and put this big event on here, we can make some money, which they did, you know, to, to build our club. And, and they built a nice facility, you know, and, yeah. and uh, that, club is, that club has been, uh, uh, you know, very instrumental in the success of this event. Right. It just kind of shows, you know, that these clubs that have some vision – and some determination, and it takes a heck of a lot of hard work, right? You know, uh, right. So you've got, you've got a club that that they they do all of the the legwork, lining up guides, working with satellite clubs, you know, doing all those sorts of things that have to be done in order to make this oh, event yeah. happen. So th it's a year long thing for these guys to get ready for this sure. weekend, and those club members to get ready for this and. And to think about, you know, everybody's pitching in. And then you get here and you go through their kitchen. Yeah. Smoked pork oh, chops. Oh, man. You All cannot come to Autumn Oaks without going through that kitchen line. And they've got that thing right now where it's like a fast food deal. Yeah. I mean, you can just buzz through there. It, it, it's efficient. It didn't always, it wasn't always that I way. There were long that. lines. You know. Yep. But you got, if you, Make a trip to Autumn Oaks and don't have one of those smoked pork chops, man. You you missed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or a piece of uh, 
a, a slice of sugar cream pie. Oh, you know, yeah. an Indiana staple. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, sugar oh, cream yeah. pie. And right out the door here from our vendor barns, the ice cream wagon, and that's a big draw here. Yeah, they sell Those out every waffle year. Waffle cones and all. They haven't even gosh. opened the. They haven't even opened the canopy Not yet. Yet this morning. Yeah, once they do. That line will start. You know, it'll start surrounding the the building. Here. When I was here, and it was my job to do a lot of these, uh, make sure these things happen. There was a guy from up in uh, Michigan, Gary Yokelette. He was the ice cream guy that we gave the uh, the uh, uh, I guess what we say the license to sell the ice cream on. Yeah. on. And this guy, man, he couldn't believe how much ice cream he sold <laughs> out here. This is, but, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier about the club and, the net, you know, the tremendous network of other clubs in the state of Indiana. Yeah. And I don't know if they send any across the border to Ohio or not. I've hunted in Ohio before. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they're still sending but people to convoy or not. I, I would assume yeah. that they are. Well, those that are listening that haven't, uh, don't have an, any idea how one of these events work, if you've got an entry of 300 dogs a night, which is probably about what they have, three to 400 dogs, mm-hmm. and these dogs are each hunted in groups of four, which we call a cast, there has to be a guide that can take them to an right. area that they're accustomed to hunting uh, and, and safely let those dogs compete for that. Is it a 90-minute hunt this year, or is it two hours? I haven't looked at the format. I don't Steve. know, but just imagine, you know, you've got four hounds. You've got four handlers here that may be from the four points of the compass. That's right. One guy may be from Missouri and a guy from Alabama and one from Michigan. and maybe, New York. Uh, yeah. New Hampshire. Wherever. Maine. You know, yep. naturally, they have no place to go. Right. So it requires a guide, and that's usually a club member from mm-hmm. one of these what we call satellite clubs, you know. So you have this actually a pre-entry through the mail that you have to do in advance, and you get a confirmation back. So then there's an instruction that you have to come onto the fairgrounds and confirm that you're there and you're actually going to hunt. And then at a point in time, they start calling out, you know, what we call calling the cast. And that's quite a production just to watch, you know. And, and then to have the map, pick up maps and know where to go. It's a tremendous logistics thing. Remember back in the day when we used the wild or the uh, horse arena out there? Yeah. And you put uh, signs on each oh, post. Yeah. And you went and found your post. Exactly. To meet your cast. Right. And then, right. or your satellite you know, yeah. where you were headed for a satellite club and you reported the post and then the UKC representative would come around and give you a paper map of how to <laughs> yeah. get there. Well, even before those, before the map age, we used to run them in convoys. Yes. That yeah. was crazy. You know, I mean, there you were would some wild stories. Yeah. Well, you figure if, if a club is going to take 15 casts. Right. That's 60 dogs. Right? And everybody wants and to every drive. And every guy's got his own truck. Right. So you got 60 trucks that you're going to move out off the fairgrounds. Two hours away. Yeah. And everybody's going to get there. And you're going to, you know, stop, stop lights. You can imagine that yeah. idea. Yeah. You know, uh, there was a funny story uh, that surrounded, it wasn't automotive, but it was Winter Classic in Albany, Georgia. And we were still in, in that convoy stage. And there's a big fairgrounds there, the Exchange yep. Club fairgrounds. And this was one of these deals where we were getting all the trucks lined up. And I can remember <laughs> we had walkie-talkies, and I'm going from the front of the line, and I've got the scorecard, you know. And, and we're checking off these guys to make sure everybody's in line. Right. We didn't leave anybody behind. And we had a deputy sheriff at the front of the line to go out and pull out into the street the road and stop traffic so this train could go. Yeah, yeah. So I'd gone all the way down this line to the very back, and the idea was we had a walkie-talkie, a CB radio in the back of the line and one up front. So I'm all the way to the back. They're all checked already. Go. uh, Ready, set, go. and and, And the voice of the lead truck comes back, Steve, 
we have a problem up here. You need to come up here. So I walk all the way to this long line, all the way to the front. And when I get there, the deputy sheriff's car is sitting there with the light going, getting ready. But he's not going anywhere. And as I walk up, there is this elderly, very well-dressed lady sitting in the back seat of this patrol car. And I walk up to to the officer, and I said, what, what's the problem, sir? He said, this lady says she's going to stop this convoy. She, if she has to, she's going to lay down in the street to stop the convoy because we're going to be harassing raccoons. And I, t- and I told, I looked to the lady, and I said, lady, you don't understand. This is not a hunt. We have no guns. We intend to kill nothing. It's strictly, uh, you know, pursuit and look at the, at the coon and, and, and right. record the score. And she immediately went into kind of a frenzy of high-pitched wailing over these, these <laughs> raccoons. And the deputy said, don't bother to talk to her. I've already talked to her. I've called in to my watch commander. I'm waiting for his instructions. Well, the instructions came back. If she doesn't get in her Cadillac and go home, bring her downtown. (laughs) (laughs) That community understood, you know, that this was an important deal. Well, I found out later on that she was on the county commission or whatever that year. But mysteriously, (laughs) the next year, she was no longer a member. But that was one of the more interesting things with convoys, I thought. That was funny. that, That was a funny story. Yeah, I think I think the story that I told around the horse arena was organizing the convoys mm-hmm. in that day. And then we did go to paper maps and now you just confirm your entry and they tell you what satellite club. So you, you confirm your entry around three o'clock and then you have, you know, five hours to be at your satellite exactly. club and be prepared to hunt. Yeah, and that all came about up at Logansport, Indiana. I remember one morning as we were giving out the awards. Now what they'll do here you know, these dogs hunt these two nights, and then they come tabulate. And, and, and there's a shout-out to the staff at UKC that has to stay up all night long and tabulate right. all that stuff. And yeah. they have a really nice award ceremony on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. I think at about 9 o'clock. Right. And there's all the trophies. And if you listeners never been to a major coonhound event and see the quality of the awards it's pretty amazing right and a lot of the major vendors as you know this stuff chris but you know they award things like dog boxes and lights and telemetry you know gps collars and all the things so there's a big award ceremony there you know on sunday but those people at ukc have to have all that ready and prepared and there's high-scoring breed awards that they have to prepare the list to provide to the breed association so they can check their memberships and make sure these people are eligible. I right. mean, it's, a, it's a, a, a logistics nightmare if it's not well prepared, but they do a yeah. great job. So probably my fondest memory of on the competition side of Autumn Oaks was the 50th, yeah. where we yeah. had the banner. We had, they had sure. the banner up with drum. Pioneer drum uh-huh. on it. Yeah. And uh, I won high scoring plot mail that year. Great. And uh, uh, Evan Workman, yeah. with, I believe he was hunting spider at the time. And Johnny was hunting oak. That's Johnny so I, Hager, right? Johnny Hager was hunting oak. And so we were always tied anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, Team Redwood. I wasn't hunting a Redwood dog at the time, but I was hunting Boone. And uh, we lined up with. And anytime you see a Redwood dog win, everybody from Team Redwood gets in the Absolutely. photo. It's, it's, it's yeah. a kind of a tradition that that uh, Team Redwood always carried out. So we had this great, in my opinion, a great photo of the three high-scoring plots from the hunt. And uh, three high-scoring plots from the hunt. And we got that picture underneath the 50th anniversary banner with drum up up on top. That's cool. 
the yeah. original the original winner For a plot of guy man that's that's like yeah. that's like a little league baseball team with babe ruth's picture you know or yeah whatever. absolutely yeah no yeah, doubt yeah no doubt well you can hear the buzz of the crowd in here chris i mean the crowd really picking up here on this saturday morning and uh, uh you know it's uh, it is and we're gonna have to wrap this up because uh our booths are being flooded here with people. Exactly. And exactly. Uh, we've been we've been having a good conversation here. And this will probably be the first of a, a series of, of podcasts that we'll do surrounding this event, Autumn Oaks. Right, Chris. Well, it's uh, been a good visit this morning, and uh, let's go to work. Let's do it. All right. All right. 